0: We we're convinced that, that no life or death or anything present or anything to come can ever separate us from the love that we have in you. Lord, I ask that you give us grace this morning to, to open our eyes, Lord, to see you for as you truly are, Lord, speak to our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name.
1: we have all heard others or even ourselves say something like this is just the way I am. For example, some of us struggle with encouraging others. We may have thought or said, I have always been this way. Encouragement is just not natural to me. Or I just don't have the gift of encouraging others. And we might go so far to say, we don't think we will ever be a true encourager. The question is, is this a correct assessment? Can a person go from not encouraging others to becoming a true encourager? And this leads to a bigger, more important question. Do people really change? You may be sitting here this morning wondering if you can actually change. For years, you have tried to change certain ways of thinking and acting to no avail. You may have talked to others, talked to friends, talked to family members, even sought out professional counseling with no lasting real change. The question is how? How do we actually change? How can someone depressed? Find joy? How can someone full of worry learn to trust? How can someone harboring bitterness learn to forgive? And we must realize there is no shortage of opinions of how we are to change. Oprah says look within yourself and begin to find real or the true self you want to be, and then start living that out. Norman Vincent Peale says actions lead, I mean not actions, but when we, the way we change is thinking differently. Thinking positive thoughts. Instead of thinking negative thoughts, we replace them with positive ones. Behavioral psychology says just change what you're doing and that will lead to real life change change cognitive therapy says just change your thinking if you can change your thinking it'll change the way you live alcoholics anonymous better known as aa says follow the 12 steps and that will lead to real life change what are some of the supposed christian views on how we change we have some Christians that say we just need to be delivered from demons, while others would espouse we need to just break generational curses that we've inherited from our ancestors. Still others would say, other Christian leaders would say, every morning, get up, go into the mirror, and look into that mirror, and say ten times, I'm Love by God. I'm fully and wholly accepted. And if you do that 10 times a day, every day, it will lead to life change. Finally, others say power is found in prayer. If we just ask God to change us, He will because the Bible says God will give us whatever we ask. So my question is, how do we actually change biblically? What is the view of how We who are believers turn and transform more into the likeness of Christ and truly are transformed from the inside out. This is what our text is discussing this morning how people change, how people like you and me can actually change. But before we go there, I would ask why do people want to change? What drives people to want to be different? What are people's motives behind wanting their life to change? Because I would suggest that most are wanting change in their life for all the wrong reasons. Biblical change has to begin with the right purposes, the right perspectives, the correct motives, God's will in mind. If I want to change to find my own happiness or i want to change to find purpose or if i want to change because i want to find fulfillment or i want to change because i just want to be an upright citizen of marco island who is the change really for is it for god or is it for myself We read in Scripture that if we pray with selfish motives, God will not answer our prayers in the book of James. And similarly, if we want change for our own benefit, we are serving ourselves as well. Do we think God will change us if we are being self-centered and wanting to spend that change on ourselves? So the right purpose... For change starts with believers' desire to live for God. We are here to please, honor, glorify God. That is the reason for the change. The first step to biblical change is a desire to please God. The first step to biblical change is a desire to please God. That means Our motivations for change is because we want to be a better vessel, a better conduit, a more focused servant of Christ. That's why we want to change. We want to be a better spouse. We want to be a better parent. We want to be a better friend. We want to be a better church member. We want to be a better witness for Christ. We want to be a better person in general for God's glory, not our own. All of life, including change, can be summed up in the fact that we are here to live for God's glory, not our own. That's why Paul, in Second Corinthians 5, 9, you don't have to turn, you can just jot it down. He says, we make it our goal. Other translations say, we make it our ambition. Other translations say, we make it our purpose, whether in the body or away from it, we please Christ. So this morning, as we begin, our main text is Ephesians 4. And we're going to start in verse 22, and we're going to go all the way down to 32. So verses 22 to 32 is where we will go this morning. So turn there, please, with me. As we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, as we explore the subject of change, Father, help us to be servants who are spending and pouring our lives out on you. Help us by the power of your Spirit To make us people who are using every area of our lives to worship you and live for your glory. I ask as a family church, as a whole, that we are sold out on you and you alone. That we are walking in holiness. That we are repenting of sin. That we are relishing in your grace every day. And that is changing us from the inside out, Father. Help us to be grateful people. Help us not to be controlled by our circumstances and the struggles in our lives, but help us to have our eyes fixed on that relationship with you this morning. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. And we have to remember this letter that is called Ephesians was circulated around the churches in the area. And God's holy word says this. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So the first question that I want to ask is, what does Paul mean when he refers to the old self? What is the old self? Well, Paul is talking about... Who they were before they turned to Christ in faith and repentance. The person they were before they were under the authority of Jesus Christ. The person they were before they were forgiven of all their sins. The person they were before they were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Paul is differentiating here who they were before they were a believer and who they are now as a true believer in Jesus Christ. That's the old self. But the next question is, why does Paul tell them to put off the old self? And the obvious answer is because they struggled to live correctly, rightly. They were going back into who they used to be. What was the reason why they were falling back into their own ways? Was it the culture? Was the culture so evil at the time that they were turning back into those old ways because of that? Was it because they had bad childhood and their parents didn't train them correctly, so that's why they were struggling to follow Christ? Was it because they were full of demons, and the demons were forcing them to turn back from their ways of Christ? Was their thinking too negative? And negative self talk was leading them to backslide in their Christian walk. Were these any of the reasons why they struggled? And the answer I can tell you confidently no. That is not the problem. It wasn't the problem we struggle with the same problem that they struggled with. And it's a really boring subject for most people today in most churches, but I will tell you what it is. It's called sin. It's the same old-fashioned struggle that we've been dealing with from when the time began, when we fell into sin in the garden. And in the church culture, they seem to want to ignore or overlook and forget about this inward battle that we have with sin every day that you and me face. And to further look into this struggle, I want us to turn to Romans 7. Romans 7, verses 14 through 24, where we see Paul the Apostle's struggle with the flesh. Paul the Apostle says this. Starting in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in the members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. Paul, the apostle who wrote half of the New Testament, who lived his life for Christ, who was finally martyred for standing up for the gospel, concludes about his own life, that he's a wretched, sinful man. Who will rid me from this body of death? That's what he says. Do we grasp the battle Paul was in? Can we feel the gravity of his frustration as he talks about this inward struggle that he has? I will tell you, we should really understand what Paul's saying because guess what? We struggle with the same issues as Paul. We have the same inward struggles that Paul was dealing with. It's no different. We still struggle with the flesh, the sinful nature that continues to wage war in our members as well. John Owen says this, Temptations and occasions put nothing into a man, but only draw out what was in him before. So, what John Owen is saying is that the situations we go through bring out what is already inside of us. For example, if we struggle with road rage, we may try to blame others for that road rage, that anger but God allows us to go through certain situations if we struggle with road rage on the road to reveal the anger that's still welled up in our own hearts. That's why we have road rage. Jesus said it like this, that the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. Jesus, again, is telling us that what is inside of us is the real problem. Do we recognize our own sinfulness this morning? Do we know the struggles that we have? Are we looking at them as our own issues? Or are we blaming other people and circumstances and situations? We have to come to the right diagnosis of the problem to find real freedom and true change. Similarly, if I go to the doctor because I feel like I'm getting sick, And the doctor diagnoses me with a cold and he gives me some cold medicine. And in reality, I have cancer. How beneficial will that medicine work on my cancer? The wrong diagnosis of the problem will lead to the wrong solution. The wrong diagnosis of the problem will lead to the wrong solution. And this leads a second step to biblical change The second step to biblical change is to recognize our flesh is the problem. The second step to biblical change is to recognize our flesh is the problem. And when I say flesh, I'm not talking about the skin on my bones or on my body. That's not what I'm talking about. But the sinful nature the flesh is a spiritual rebellious force that works against God and is working with God. Satan it is what we inherited in the fall of mankind we call this original sin The sinful nature of the flesh is why we think high or low of ourselves. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we think so often of ourselves. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we fight with others. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we have evil thoughts. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we worry so much. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we harbor bitterness and hold on to unforgiveness. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we struggle with addictions. The sinful nature of the flesh is why we worship the creation instead of the creator. Are we starting to see the, the, the pattern here? But let's go back to our main text. Ephesians 4, 22. I know I said we're getting through 10 verses, but I decided I'm going to preach for about five hours this morning, so I hope you guys are ready. Let's go back to verse 22. And it says again, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul is saying it's not just enough to recognize what the problem is, right? But he goes on and says to stop living for the old self, the sinful, corrupted nature that you were born with that caused you to be alienated and separated from Christ. So the third step to biblical change is to put off sinful habits. The third step to biblical change is to put off sinful habits. And I use the word habit because sin is not just a wrong action or a wrong thought, but it's habitual in nature, a way of life. And the more ground that we give to the flesh, the sinful nature, the further controlled we become by it. We can see this clearly in the life of Cain. In the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 4, we see that they both brought offerings before the Lord. And with Abel's offering, it says that God was pleased with him. But Cain's offering, it said that God was displeased. So why don't we open our Bibles to Genesis 4, and we're going to actually pick it up in verse 5, where they have just went through the offering process. Genesis 4, verses 5 through 7 says this, So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So we have Cain, he was angry and he, because he, he realized that God looked at favor on his brother and jealousy and anger Turned into rage in Cain's heart, right? And what happened next? The unthinkable, right? He killed his own flesh and blood, his brother. His brother. He followed the ways of the flesh. He did not heed God's warning. The flesh, the sinful nature, is not something we can dabble in. It is spiritual. It is powerful. It is from below. It is wicked. We say, I just am going to look at the opposite sex for a moment. Or, I'm just going to tell this little white lie. And before you know it, we have started some sinful habit that's become as natural as drinking water. We become habitual liars. We become habitual gossips. We become consumed with lust. We live it out in our lives. It becomes a lifestyle to lie to others. We become controlled by our sinful nature that ruled us before we came to Christ. I wonder how many habits we are continuing to walk in that are against our Lord this morning. God's word says, Paul says, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit tells us to put those things off. Stop living that way. Let's go back to our main text. We're now in Ephesians 4, 24. Ephesians 4, 24. And he says this, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul says, start living rightly, correctly, like Christ. It is not enough to just stop doing the wrong things, but begin to do the right things because you love Jesus Christ. Which leads to the fourth step. The fourth step to biblical change is to put on biblical habits. The fourth step to biblical change is to put on biblical habits, put off the old self and put on the new self, replace sinful habits with God-glorifying new habits. We see some examples of this of the put on put off principle in the rest of our passages here and it's Ephesians 4:25 through 32 and we'll hit some of these Quickly, but turn with me to Ephesians 4.25, the next passage. And it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So put off falsehood or lying and put on truth, or stop lying to others and start speaking the truth to everyone. Let's go down to verse 28. Skip a few verses there. Verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Put off stealing. Put on working. Stop stealing from others and start working. But don't just start working for yourself. He says, work so that you can give to other people. You can help others. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Put off corrupt, rotten, worthless talk. Put on talk that will help build up others. Or stop corrupt or unwholesome conversations with others and start conversations that will help edify, build up those that you are talking to. Verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. But be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We're going to have to simplify this one a little bit and just say this. Stop being selfish and unloving and start putting others above yourself because you yourselves have received so much grace. Share that same grace with others. So we see with these examples that sin from within leads to a lifestyle of more sin. It's habitual in nature when we sin. But we also see that living for Christ, we can develop new habits. New habits that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We used to be enslaved to all sorts of sins, but now we have the ability to actually break free of those sinful habits now that the Holy Spirit lives, resides inside of us. Jay Adams says this, so true change that is pleasing to God is a two-factored process. One must not only remove the former habituated patterns, but must likewise replace them with their biblical alternatives. So finally, I have one more question. I know I've had a lot of questions. But what is the outcome when we obey God's word in this matter of biblical change? Well, turn with me to Romans 15:13. Romans 15:13. Romans fifteen thirteen a great passage on hope. If anybody is losing hope, this is a great passage just to meditate on. And if you have people that are struggling in things, this is a great passage to share with them. But it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we see here, as Paul is telling the church at Rome, who are facing all sorts of persecutions to trust in God. And as we replace those patterns that are sinful, God, and we change and replace them with God-honoring habits, it says he fills us with joy and peace. God transforms us inwardly. And not only does he give us joy and peace, but it goes on to say that he overflows our cup, overflows us with hope. He gives us, generates hope within us. How does he do that? By the power of what? The Holy Spirit living inside of us. The fifth step to biblical change is finding hope, joy, and peace. The fifth step to biblical change is finding hope, joy, and peace. Are we trusting in in Christ this morning? In Christ, we find hope. In Christ, we find joy. In Christ, we find peace. In Christ, we find true and lasting change. I want to conclude with a story that just happened. My family just left to go visit the in laws in Georgia on Thursday. My father in law drove from Georgia and picked up my wife and children, and he left his car here, and they took our Camry to Georgia in the mountains, Blue Ridge. So Friday morning, I jumped into my father-in-law's car to go to work. And I was running a little bit late, so I was trying to move a little faster because I was a little bit on edge. And I put the key into the ignition, but the key would not move. The steering wheel, I started shaking it, and then it locked up on me. And I began to jiggle the steering wheel, wiggle the key in the ignition... And within 10 minutes, I was drenched in sweat and I still was nowhere closer to work. So I decided, by the way, I wasn't supposed to tell this story because it makes me look really bad, but I'm telling you anyway. So I decided out of desperation to call my wife, begrudgingly, somewhat humiliated, but thinking that maybe this happens to my in-laws and they may have a quick solution to my problem and I won't be that late to work. So now, I call. My wife and my mother-in-law are on speakerphone, telling me to wiggle the key, jiggle the steering wheel, and then I start getting a little frustrated, and I usually try to make sure I have my, my best foot forward with my mother-in-law. <laughs> and as sweat, I'm sweating profusely still, And they're repeating everything that I have tried a hundred times. So in the middle of all their wonderful wisdom and knowledge that they gave me, I blurted out, what do you do when this happens to you? And my mother-in-law says, this hasn't happened to us before. I don't know what you should do. And I am starting to get a little frustrated. I'm trying to hold it back, but my heart really just wants to spew it all out. Then my wife says, because she knows me well, don't worry, Terry, don't worry. It's all right. We'll figure this out. My, my mom is getting a solution for you right now. She's ch- looking it up on YouTube to see what you need to do. <laughs> and at that moment, God gave me grace because all of a sudden my pool guy walked by me. I'm thinking, I don't know if he's a Christian. i got to make sure I'm being godly. So so he's heading to the backyard, and he sees me in my car soaked in sweat with probably a distraught look on my face, and he asks me, do you need some help? And I say, yeah, that'd be great. So he begins wiggling and jiggling everything the same way I was, and then we both begin to work together. It's almost like a joke, like how many people does it take to start a car type thing, you know? So... We're both, he's wiggling the, the key in the ignition. I'm wiggling the steering. Wheel. We're working together. We're a really good team, but we're not getting anywhere still. We're, nothing's happening. He says, I'm stumped. I, I don't know what's the matter here. I can't figure this out. And he pulls out the key out of the ignition and asks, What kind of car is this again? To my horror, he pulls out our Kia van key out of my in laws. Acura ignition. I had the wrong key in the ignition all along. I know the pool guy was even like, "This is just between me and you. I won't say a word to anybody." Yeah. So. So the point, the point is, until I took the wrong key out. It really didn't change my situation. I was still sitting in the driveway, hot. I hadn't moved any closer to my destination, continuing to get more frustrated as I tried every option. It wasn't until I replaced the wrong key with the right one that I was able to move and go forward to work. I was two hours late, but I got there. I got there. And similarly, similarly, we are maybe sitting here stuck this morning, hopeless, frustrated, possibly sweating like me, continuing to walk in wrong ways, wondering if things will ever change. And the answer is not just stop doing something. Number one, like we said, the first thing we need to do is reevaluate if we want to change for God's glory or our own. Secondly, we recognize self. Our own sinful nature is our greatest problem and struggle. Thirdly, we stop those habits that are ungodly, that are rebellious against our Lord. Fourthly, we replace them with new godly habits. And finally, We see and experience the fruit of biblical change that leads to an inward, an overflow of hope, joy, and peace. I wonder how many of us need to put off certain habits and replace them with biblical ones, God glorifying habits. What habits have we formed in our marriages? What habits? Have we developed in our families? What habits do we have at our workplace? What habits do we have even with our own minds? What habits do we have as a church community? Are these habits honoring to Christ? We are blessed as believers because we don't change by sheer willpower, amen? but on our dependence, our waiting on the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability. He enables us to live for God. Amen? We have the ability to change this morning because God is working in us and through us. Let's go to him in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that your word is so clear how we can actually grow in holiness. We thank you that your word, you enable it with your Holy Spirit to let us understand and practically walk out these truths that we find in your word. Usually the problem is, Father, as you know, that we are sometimes hard-headed. We want to do our own thing. We struggle we give up easy father but help us to know with your spirit living in us we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us help us to be faithful to your word to meditate on your word to be challenged examined by Your word help us to be a culture that's willing to speak truth into one another's lives as we're all struggling we're fellow strugglers that need people to speak truth in our lives help us to be bold and humble and loving as we do so we thank you for Christ Jesus. In him we pray. Amen.
2: We are going to be partaking communion this morning, so if the deacons will please prepare for it. Here at the family church, we have what we call an open commun- communion. What we mean by open communion is this. We would encourage every believer to be a part of and accountable to a Bible-believing church. However, we don't believe you have to be a member of this specific church or a specific denomination to be able to take communion with us this morning. If you have repented and by grace, through faith, surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you and you are a follower of Christ, then we are brothers and sisters and we would invite you to participate in communion this morning. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, I would ask if you would simply let the elements pass by you. We don't want this time to be just a religious ritual or a routine that we do to try to please God. But we are doing this as the scripture has instructed in remembrance of the Lord. If you would like to know how you can be a follower of Jesus today, Pastor Casey or Pastor Terry would love to talk to you after the service and help guide you to the Lord also, if you're a parent or a guardian of children who are in the service and those children have not yet come to faith, would you please let the elements pass by them as well? After the service or sometime this afternoon, I would encourage you to take the time to talk to them about communion, what it is, who it's for, and just the purpose of it. And then you have an opportunity to share the gospel. It says in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 11, starting in verse 26, for as often... That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So as the elements are being distributed, I would encourage you to take this time and examine your hearts. Maybe you need to repent to make things right with the Lord. We heard a lot lot about this morning, what what behaviors and what things we have in our lives that that we need to surrender, that we need to let go of and put on the new self. So just take a few moments, um, like the passage said, judge yourselves. And so uh, when you get the elements in your hand, just please hold on to them and uh, we'll partake of them together in a couple of minutes. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord, in this time of communion, remember you. Lord, we are so thankful for the great and amazing sacrifice that you have done for us, Lord, for making a way where there was no way for us, Lord. We thank you, God, for the greatest gift we could have ever imagined, Lord, you giving up your body so that we can be completely whole, for you shedding your blood, making a new covenant that's not based on our performance, but that is based only on your finished work, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus for paying such an amazing price and for loving us in just such an awesome way, oh God. And we thank you for making a way to the Father and for giving us eternal life. And we do this, Lord, thankfully, in remembrance of you. Amen. Let's partake of both together. hallelujah how amazing God truly is and so if you would all stand up and I'll pray one more time and then you're dismissed Lord we are so thankful that we can do this Lord in remembrance of you God we thank you that it doesn't have to be some some routine or some rituals Lord but we can do it thankfully Lord with our hearts wide open to you God because you are a good God you are a holy and righteous God and in your holiness and in your wrath and in your righteousness you can justify us because of the finished work of Christ that he has done on the cross Lord and we thank you so much for that Lord we ask that you truly help us Lord to put on the old self God to flee from all his wickedness, Lord, and to run to you, Lord, to focus on you, to continue, Lord, to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, Lord. Now ask, let the love of you, Father, and the grace of you, Lord Jesus, and the communion of you, Holy Spirit, be with us as we go through this week and every day, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.